You do this on purpose. <laughs> a bit. If I were a whale right now, I would commit spermicide. <laughs> and boom! <laughs> Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 68, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On today's podcast, we talk about conics, coach, roses, spirals, the witch of Agnesi, as well as something that Christopher Bates likes to call Bacrista Crony and Cheese. Here we go! Hello, and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the original and the best mathematical podcast that doesn't have any real content. I, cu- I couldn't actually say uh, original and best uh, mathematical podcast because that, that would be a lie. It's not the original. Uh, that would probably actually go to Heim Goodman Strauss and the Math Factor, who you can hear on the best Strongly Connected Components this week. And joining me here on Combinations and Permutations, I have uh, two guests. I haven't had any new guests. I need to get some new guests in here because these guys are kind of boring. Christopher Bates and Cody Palmer. Boring is quite possibly the best word anybody has ever word used to describe me. That is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I know. We have a lot of imaginary content, though. You have to give us credit for that. Oh, God. Why do I invite Chris on the show? Ever. I, I don't need to. I can just not invite him over. It's, it's, it's in my apartment. I run the show. I pay for the fucking thing. Why do I invite you, Chris? So I don't have to break in. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Oddly enough, I kind of believe him. That scares me more than anything else. Okay, so before we get into the actual content in the show, and we have a very special show for you today. No, we don't. We have a very normal show. It's, it's, hey, it might even be uh, below average. Who knows? And we do have Chris here. Uh, but I do have a very special announcement to make before this show starts, and that is... I've decided to start a new podcast (laughs) because four is not enough, but there's a reason behind this podcast. So I've been doing combinations and permutations for a while. This is the 68th episode, guys. You you can talk here. One more to go. Incidentally, you know, uh, just a brief one. This is a, um, this is a rehash of the Gauss episode. My first episode in which it was just. Sam, Chris, and me. Except that was that was one of the last ones that was still taped at the office. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really going back. And and so and we've been doing this for a while. I, I'm going to be releasing, I believe, the 38th episode of Strongly Connected Components this week too, which once again is with Heim Goodman Strauss of the Math Factor, and it's it's one of the best episodes. You guys, anyone listening to this, really needs to head on over to AcmeScience.com and listen to Strongly Connected Components. It's this episode in particular, I was, it was just a joy to do. And uh, also, we just had the 50th episode spectacular for the Math Maths podcast. So, I mean, I've been, I've been doing a lot of math podcasting here. I don't know. For anyone uh, paying attention, that's what? What's 50 plus 38 plus 68? Chris? I turned off my calculator. 90, 106, 156. I confirm. I don't work with numbers. <laughs> We're mathematicians, of course. We can't count or add. We can count as long as they're arbitrarily large sets. Uh, and so, I mean, that's a lot of podcasts. But one thing that I haven't really been able to do is I haven't been able to go super in-depth with the topics. I mean, we do topics on this show. But what I really want to do is I want to take these topics and really go in-depth with them. Go out, find experts on them, interview them, tie it all together into a, a nice whole you know, hour-long kind of radio show-esque segment. And, and I think that this, this could be absolutely amazing. And in order to do this, though, I need your help. I need, I need the help of both the people in this room. I need the help of every single person listening. And that help, it means I need you to give me money. Uh, and so in order to facilitate this, I started a Kickstarter project for this new show. It's called Relatively Prime. 
stories from the mathematical domain. And, and so go to Kickstarter, search for Relatively Prime, or you could just type into your browser bit.ly slash relprime. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-E-L-P-R-I-M-E. Now, if you don't have money, I understand. But really, you can give me a dollar or five. Come on, people. But if you really don't, if you're completely broke, kind of like I am, uh, then there's still things that you can do. Send out a tweet with a link to it. With, with the link I just gave you, and you add an HTTP colon slash slash in front of that, Twitter that, that would be great. Or Tumblr, or just blog about it. Tell all of your friends. Put it up on Facebook. Do you, it, do you use Reddit? I know Cody does. I think you might want to submit this on Reddit, or see if anyone else has, and then talk about it. Give it a bunch of upvotes. Get it, get it onto the front page. Let's get a math podcast and Kickstarter onto the front page of Reddit. Submit it to Boing Boing. Submit it to Slashdot. Submit it to, what, Dig? Does Dig still around? I don't care if you still have a MySpace account or Friendster account. I want you to talk about it on there. I need as many people as possible to hear about this, and, and that's, that's something I really want all the combinations and permutations listeners to do. And this, I, I know this is, I don't, you don't necessarily want to do this. You don't want to be just spamming all your friends with this guy who you listen to from time to time's project. But really, this could be an amazing project. And not only that, if you do support, and Cody can attest to this, he helped me film the video. There's a bunch of different support levels where you get things back for giving money. They are, they are some pretty cool things. Yeah, and also definitely go to the Kickstarter page. At least watch the video. It's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, if I don't say so much. And, and, Cody, and Cody helped in the filming of it. Uh, he was, he was uh, at times, either director of photography or uh, audio engineer. He was, he was both of those things, as, as well as my script supervisor. And Chris is in there as well. Oh, yeah. Chris appears in it. So does Cody. A bunch of combinations of permutations guests appear in it. Uh, Breckling's also in there, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, nope. Actually, that the only you three may have actually ended up in there. Yeah. Does that mean I don't have to give you money? You don't have to give me money. You should, but you don't <laughs> have to give me money. But it, I think that this could be a really uh, good project. I've been talking about this for a few minutes now, and I, I'm going to get off. But you have to understand over the next two months, I'm going to talk about this every single episode until I am funded at 200%. So if, if we give you money, you won't talk about it anymore? Yeah. Give me money and I'll shut up about it. Uh, but no, I really think that this, this could be a cool thing. Remember, that's uh, HTTP colon slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-E-L-P-R-I-M-E. And of course, there'll be a link in the blog post uh, over at acmescience.com. And, and there's also, the video's also on acmescience.com. There's a link to the Kickstarter on the side uh, over there as well. And, and please, just tell everyone you know. Hell, I don't care. Write a letter longhand, send it to somebody. Just talk about the project in there. I really, really need your help uh, because without this, I'm going to have to go find a real job. And also, I might have to stop, say, doing this. I... Uh, I mean, that support is technically just for that project, but also it will help support me to to continue to be able to do things like combinations and permutations as well, strongly connect components too. And and so please, please just head on over, at least look at it. That's that's about the best that I can ask for in the end. Well, actually, no, I can ask you all to give me money, but it's the best I can hope for. (laughs) Okay, sound good to you guys? Excellent. Yeah. Well, so I guess we should get into the topic then, huh? Maybe? Sort of? You guys are not engaging me at all. Can, can, can I ask you for money? <laughs> no. I'm broke. I thought we established the reason I need this money is because I'm broke. Okay, so the topic uh, this week uh, is, is very important to all of us. Uh, we have probably all... St- well, we probably... We have all definitely studied this from... Seventh grade on. And also, it is something that a lot of people look for in a woman. Curvature? Chris gets it. I think that might be the earliest anyone's ever gotten one of my cryptic explanations. Wow. Curves, yes. Today, we're going to talk about curves. This is, once again, a topic suggestion uh, by my co-host, Peter Rowlett. This time, I don't know what's in it for him. I think maybe uh, I put out a really desperate call at the end of the last episode. Like, I was almost crying. 
Like, yeah. I, I don't know what to talk about. And he really sent out this huge list. Most of them, probably not going to talk about. It, and a lot of that's going to be out of spite. But I, I couldn't come up with anything today. I thought, you know, let's talk about curves. Because curves are something very fundamental in mathematics that we haven't talked about. There's, there's not too many fundamental things in mathematics that we haven't talked about yet. So, Chris, what is a curve? Well, what kind of curve are you looking for? A differentiable curve? Chris, what is a curve? A curve is a mapping from uh, some subset, some interval of the nope. real line. More abstract. Oh. Cody? Um, I'll bite a line. Uh, it's, uh, according to Wikipedia, and this is something I would also agree with, given the, uh, the general uh, kind of issue that we have English language-wise with the word line, it is an object that is similar to a line but does not have to be straight. Okay. A one-manifold? God damn it. <laughs> Well, okay, so I, I don't know the definition okay. of manifold, so we might be talking about something that's even more abstract yeah. than, than a manifold. So then, okay, so when you say similar to a line but not straight, it's saying... So it's topologically equivalent to a line that can be connected back to itself. Okay. Because a circle is a curve. Right. It's a closed curve. Yes, it is, it is a closed curve, but it is still a right. curve. Right, okay. Yeah. I, I so, so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about curves in the most generic of possible definitions for a curve. If anything, we could start with a topological definition of a curve. Yeah, what, what would that be? Uh, one example. Well, let me give an example. Uh, uh, consider a topological space, X, and uh, consider the closed interval from 0 to 1. Um, any continuous mapping from the closed interval zero to one into the topological space X is, or can be considered a curve. Okay. Uh, so one, one thing that we're uh, forcing here is that it is, is that curve have to be connected to itself because we don't need a connected um, curve because uh, piecewise curves are still curves. Um, well, I, th I think incidentally, when you look at uh, a continuous mapping um, from an interval, since an interval is connected it's it's image. No, it's image does a, not have to under be under continuous mapping. Yeah, yeah. If if that's why we don't need the word continuous. Right. It does not have to be a continuous mapping. Oh, okay. Because uh, say the step function, step function produces that's a non-connected curve, still a curve. It's also technically a line in the most right. generic right. definition of a line as well. It's a bunch of lines. It's kind of like a a set of a bunch of subsets all of which are lines uh, but so let's talk more about what people generally consider curves to be uh first let's talk uh, so curves were not i mean really understood mathematically very deeply for a long time so first i mean there were lines uh and then there was uh something called a composite line so these are lines uh that form an angle so they connect together and they form some sort of an angle. So, you know, uh, like uh, to uh, the graph of an absolute value. So you have, uh, you have an X equals Y from zero to infinity and uh, X equals negative Y from uh, zero to negative infinity. And so that, that creates a V. And, and so that, that's also occurring. And the Greeks understood things like that. Uh, they also understood in composite lines, uh, which are either determinate, uh, so these do not extend indefinitely, so, you know, say a circle, or uh, indeterminate, and these extend indefinitely. So these are things such as a straight line. A straight line, uh, you know, goes indefinitely from, you know, infinity to negative infinity. And then finally, the geometers did get on to some curves. Now, do you know what the original... Uh, kind of canonical, if you want to say, curves that were studied were. Were they conic sections? Yes. See, he got the he got the Shoot. kind of pun that was oh, in there. Chris is on top of stuff today. Yeah, man. Apparently, Chris knows all about curves. 
Yeah, just not in the real world. <laughs> oh yeah, that that was that pushes us all back. So uh, <laughs> iconic sections. Uh, the first definition is originally uh, attributed to Menachemus. Don't know. I'm probably butchering the name. And then. Of course, uh, Euclid is said to have written books on conic sections that were lost. And then uh, a lot of the conic sections we know our uh, study was from which Greek? You guys know? Starts with an A. Aristotle? A and then a P. App. Okay, this is just dead air. <laughs> Apollonius. Was, I got the I got the first two letters right. Uh, okay, so conic sections. Let, let's talk about what the conic sections are. So, uh, what conic? There's there's how many conic sections? Three. No. Okay, four. There are four there conic are four, sections, yeah. and what are they? You have the parabolas, ellipses, hyperbolas, and degenerate conics. Nope. That would technically make five. What happens if you take a... So conic sections is what happens when you intersect a cone with a plane. So then... So what if you intersect a cone and a plane at a perpendicular angle? You get a... Well, okay, so you would start off at a point, and then you get a circle. Yep. Which... A circle is a conic section. Right, but wouldn't you just consider that a special case of the ellipse? I'm considering it a separate thing because Wikipedia had it listed separately. Uh, I'm not, not going to necessarily accept that, but okay, we can continue. I mean, that's... Okay, and, and so we have, we have circles, uh, circles and ellipses, are, which are the two closed, mm -hmm. uh, and then parabolas and hyperbolas. So most people know what a parabola is. I'm, I'm assuming anyone listening to this has heard of a parabola. We, it's known better. And, and when curves really came into you know, vogue was after the creation of analytic geometry. In other words, after we had the Cartesian coordinate grid. The coordinate grid is what it's, I mean, like it did for so many other things, blew up the study of curves. Uh, mm -hmm. And so now when we think of parabolas, apparently that is uh, y squared equals 4ax is the definition mm -hmm. of a parabola. Yep. I always thought it was y equals x squared or y equals ax squared. Apparently, I'm wrong about that. Well, the, the, the 4 is important there because that when you talk about that 4ax, that, that a there, when you write it in that form, that a has some very special properties. Uh, in particular, that's the distance from the uh, vertex and the focus. Oh, okay. So that a, that's, what, that's why they write it in that form. And why do they keep it y squared? To confuse the students, <laughs> of course. Yeah, and again, in that form, it's written as y squared equals 4ax, or you could write it as x squared equals 4ay. Again, the idea is that a has that special value. So, so we could think of it as y equals x squared over 4a. Sure. Okay. That's how I prefer to think of it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a nice geometric construction for parabola. Um, uh, let l be a given line in the plane and let P be any point that is not on that line L. Um, consider the set of all points that have the following property uh, in the plane. A point is part of the parabola defined by the line L and the point P if the distance between the point P and this other point is the same as the distance between that point and the line. We call the line the directrix, and the point, the given point that I initially gave is called the focus. Which you mentioned before, mm -hmm. and so uh, so this this creates essentially a, uh, I mean it, it's it's a U shape. It's kind of like a bowl shape uh, or a wine glass shape or depend depending on this because the width of the base of the parabola can change mm -hmm. quite a bit. Now, uh, how about a hyperbola? Now, hyperbolas are fun, if only because their root term is hyper. And, and I really like being hyperbolic. Well, I know that, that the, the geometric notion of, of what a hyperbola is is uh, a lot more convoluted than, than what you have with the parabolas because you need, you need two. Well, so so how, how about this? How would you uh, intersect that plane with the cone to get a? Well, we should say that you actually intersect the 
the plane with two cones that are joined at the base yeah. of the cone, creating kind of uh, kind of like that that toy that you could flip around on a string. <laughs> no, no, the toy. It, it's it looks like an hourglass, and and it's two sticks, and there's a string connecting it. You can make the thing roll around. You can do tricks with it. That's like impossible. <laughs> I mostly played with dirt as a kid, so... Okay, so how, how do you... So the hyperbola you get... Or not the hyperbola. The parabola you get by intersecting uh, at an angle with one of the cones so that the plane do, uh, does not intersect completely through the circle of the cone. Mm-hmm. So how, how would, you, would you get a hyperbola then? Um, you would like, I don't know the way I think of it is I need a point of reference. So suppose you have a, uh, the line through the center of the cones. Yeah. You take a plane that's parallel to that line and you intersect it with the cone and you will get a hyperbola. If it intersects exactly at the center where the, the two vertices of the cone meet, then you have two crossing lines, which is a degenerate hyperbola. Okay. Now, and so what you end up with, you essentially, it looks like two parabolas, uh, where the bases face each other. Yeah, but unlike parabolas, the uh, the hyperbolas are going to have uh, asymptotes. Yep. So they're going to be getting close to a line. So they're not because our parabolas will get. I'm just in, saying. I'm just saying they wide. look. Yeah. Yeah. They just the, kind of the, look. Yeah. Like the it. idea is the same. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, what's the equation for hyperbola? Um, it can be given as x squared over a squared minus y squared over b squared equals one. Yep. Or they could be switched with the yeah, y becoming yeah. first, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's the basic one. Now, circles and ellipses, yes, are a circle is a special case of an ellipse. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking Wikipedia's fucking word again, and it screwed me. So now you get these by intersecting uh, completely through one of the cones. Right. So forming a connected curve mm-hmm. uh, through either of the cones. It, it doesn't matter. And then. Uh, kind of angling that plane at different ways to get different, uh, to get you know, uh, you know, a, an ellipse instead of a circle because a circle is has a. Uh, oh, uh, damn it! We forgot to talk about something. So it's very important when we talk about curves to talk about curvature, which Chris mentioned. Now, what is curvature? Because I, I actually really need curvature to uh, talk about the difference between an ellipse and a circle. Curvature is. Uh, is is a notion of what? Well, curvature is a measure of how far a curve deviates from being a line, yeah. a straight line. So, so it, curvature is a measure of how curvy something is. But you want <laughs> when you define. That's all I was looking for. When you define, I didn't cur- need the I didn't oh. need the textbook definition. You can give it. Go ahead. Well, I mean, when when you when it, to create a nice working definition of curvature, we want two things to happen. We want the line, the straight line, to have zero curvature. And we want to circle whatever its curvature is. We want that curvature to be the same no matter what point we're at on the circle. Yeah, and that's that's actually the difference between a circle and an ellipse. Is a circle has constant curvature. The curvature mm-hmm. at any point in the circle is exactly the same. I mean, that's what makes it a circle. Whereas an ellipse, the curvature changes. Well, if if we have a parameterization of a curve, so now I'm jumping into analytic geometry. Yeah, if we have a parameterization of a curve uh, that is uh, smooth, or at least smooth enough so that we can take um, first derivatives of its parameterization, uh, we can define the curvature of this curve to be the absolute value of t prime, uh, where t is the uh, the unit tangent vector to the curve, and so. Uh, t prime would be, of course, the, t- the derivative of that uh, vector with respect to t- uh, the parameter t. Sure. <laughs> I don't know what he was talking about here. <laughs> but I, I've been reading... I, I, I lost him a, a, a while ago. I've, I've been reading a little differential geometry on yeah, the side. Yeah, get you every time, get you every time. <laughs> okay, uh, so, yeah, and so an, so an ellipse is kind of like a circle that a fat guy sat on. Yes. Yeah, and so kind of smushing the sides on so you get this elongated... It's an oval. I mean, to, to, you, to use uh, the vernacular, to go down and talk like a country folk, it's an oval. Not an ovum, an oval. Yeah, that's an important difference. It really is. Because you, you can eat ova. I don't know that you can eat ovalt. Maybe you can. 
Ovaltine. <laughs> or do you eat Ovaltine? Well, no, I guess you could eat it if you don't put if, it in the milk nope, or nope. water. I, I, if, I, as far as I'm concerned, you cannot eat or drink everything you eat, but you do eat everything you drink. I can accept that. It's kind of like a circle in a square. Like, you don't chew things that you drink, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's a very, mastication is a very specific term used for solid foods. But eating is just the process of taking food and ingesting it to me. Like, it's taking food into your mouth and then getting it down to your gullet. That's all eating is to me. So drinking seems to be a very specific subset of the act of eating. It's like lazy eating. Well, no, I mean, because there's some things you can... Well, actually, there's nothing you can only eat provided that you have some sort of amazing freezing device that can bring anything down to absolute zero. Because uh, I was just about to say, there's some things you can only drink, but then I remembered, and Chris probably would have pointed this out, as long as you get it cold enough, you can masticate it. I've been masticating for several years now. You, how old are you now, Chris? 30, 32 or 33, I can't you've, remember. You've been, masti- <laughs> you've been masticating then for at least 31 years. You Maybe you didn't masticate during your uh, first year of your life. Your mom may disagree with me there. Uh, <laughs> nom, 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 nom. <laughs> but you've been masticating for at least 31 years. Because even with baby food, it's mostly it's mostly uh, liquid. But you def- like with a smoothie, there's definitely some mastication. Yeah, smoothies I mean, it's are part good, of though. enjoying it. Yeah, I think. Okay, so what were we talking about? Oval team. We were talking about oval. Team. Ovals, ovals. Don't we forget about- to shake your ovals. Or oval. Oval team. Oh. Okay. Ellipses. And so, and so, what's really cool about conic section? What do you f- guys find cool about the conic sections? Um, okay, so for me, whenever I think of conic sections, I think particularly of ellipses and Kepler's laws. Um, which is uh, what's astounding about this, and what was always astounding to me, is that Kepler determined that the orbits of the planets are in ellip- uh, are ellipses. But what's interesting? Yeah, but he also thought that before that, that all of the uh, all of the orbits could fit in uh, to increasing platonic solids. Hmm. Uh, well, but but I think what what's the impressive thing to me what, with what Kepler did was he did it based only on observational data, um, and now you can derive uh, using Newtonian mechanics, universal law of gravitation, you can derive that orbit should be ellipses. You can do that, but the fact that he did it only using observational data is impressive. That is outstanding. I mean, like I actually didn't even know what a conic section was until I had to. Well, tutor it, essentially. Um, And actually, sometimes I'll dream about the conic section questions that people will ask me during the day. It's kind of disturbing, but but I don't know. Every time I have a chance to show someone how to draw um, an ellipse using a piece of string and two push pins, I I have to take that chance because it's so cool. Uh, We 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 even did it at the space camp. Last or the summer before last, uh, we we drew ellipses. Um, I mean, I, I'm not a very good artist, but if I've got a string and two pushpins, I can go. damn well draw an ellipse. <laughs> that is that is true. You you really can if you have a string, pins, and some sort of writing utensil. That'd be very important. You just have the pushpins and the string. Not enough. I think Chris was saving time because when he said push pens, he included pens. No, he no. pens. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, so, I mean, there, there was conic section. And then, as, as I mentioned, we did uh, spin up further. And then we got Cartesian coordinate grid. And then all of a sudden, we had just curves everywhere. We had motherfucking curves on this motherfucking plane. <laughs> See, I only did that for Chris. Chris liked that way more than he should have. My head is about to explode. <laughs> Okay, uh, so so we're going to be talking a lot about a lot about just random types of curves now, uh, uh, but I was wondering if any of you have a favorite curve. Hmm. There's one curve that I like, but I don't know how to pronounce it safely. 
it kind of uh it kind of looks like a write down the name it kind of looks like oh a, the coach curve yes that's the one <laughs> and and uh, what's so uh, fun about the coke curve it has uh it has infinite uh well any segment of it has infinite uh arc length yeah and it's it's one of what are known as the fractal curves i and this is one of the specific types as known as a space filling curve uh and it's also happens oh no 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 this is not one of the space filling curves oops i'm sorry it's it's the snowflake yes yes uh, it's it's yeah it's the snowflake curve and it does it does have uh infinite uh arc length on any bit of it and it, it is really fun it looks like a snowflake after it you does. do it, it does. you start you start with a triangle and then uh in the middle of each of the so you split each of the lengths of this or each of the sides into threes you remove the middle point and replace it with a the kind of like the top part of the triangle you know the those two lengths right. you put those in there uh, they're the same length as the one you just delete do that on all sides and then just do that to every remaining length again and again just i mean it's a fractal creation and it ends up looking like a snowflake it is it's an awesome looking curve cody how about you um, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I really, I really don't have. Come on, you got nothing. Well, okay. So there's there's the curve that's represented by the graph negative one over x squared. It kind of looks like a thong. <laughs> one of one of my students wow. to me is like, "Oh, it's the thong graph." I'm like, "Well, there you go." <laughs> I. Are the are the uh, PTAs going to start uh, you know censoring the uh, the geometry textbooks now because they've got this thong curve in it? So I now uh, now that I have a new uh, appreciation for the work of the rap singer Cisco, <laughs> the one over. Negative x squared to ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Cody, you have ruined the, the most beautiful piece of women's underwear on the planet for me because I will never they, think of that again without seeing uh, that function. <laughs> I, was, I was in your shoes a few years ago as well. I was tutoring a student. Yeah, there you go. It's the thong graph. So I, I grabbed some of, some of my favorite curves uh, that we will now talk about. But I think that my absolute favorite, at least at this point, might be known as... The Witch of Agnesi. The actual name of a curve. Uh, and it, it, uh, the, the story behind that name. So this was a curve studied uh, by Fermat, Grandi, and Agnesi. Uh, Fermat first, then Grandi, then Agnesi. And so uh, in Italian, the name of this curve was La Berseria Sierra. Uh, Seria. <laughs> Versiera di Agnesi, which means the curve of Agnesi. But the problem came when Cambridge professor John Colson thought it was La Aversiera, uh, which is uh, di Agnesi, which uh, actually means woman contrary to God of Agnesi, <laughs> which then became known as, identified as witch. So the witch of Agnesi, and it's also the name of a fiction novel by Robert Spiller. What does it does it look like? I mean, does it look like the, the uh, witch's nose or the the hat? No, it, it hat? kind of. Uh, so I, I mean, it can be centered in a lot of places. Let's say that it's centered uh, at, uh, you know, the crossing of the x and y axes, uh, and so then uh, as it goes out, it has asymptotes to the x axis, and then it kind of has a hump uh, that is centered at the y axis. And so how you get it is you uh, pick some point on a circle. And then you pick, or and then for any other point in the circle, uh, what you do is you draw a, a secant line from O to A. And then uh, you, so essentially what you do is you just start at O, and you draw the secant line, which is also the tangent line at O. If it's to, if it's a secant line through the same point, it's essentially the mm -hmm. tangent line through O. And so then uh, just rotate. Uh, that secant line or, and then rotate the circle and you get that secant line going all the way around. And so what happens is then the uh, point M, which is diametrically opposite of uh, the point O, uh, you draw a, another 
Oh, crap. It's really hard to fucking define. <laughs> can, can, can I see a picture, please? Uh, let, me, let me continue through uh, here. Uh, it essentially looks like that. Where does the thong go? Okay. There is no thong. Okay, so, so, we, so we have this point M diametrically opposite of O on the circle, and then the line OA... Uh, where A is the, C or the point that we're picking, drawing the secant line through, intersects the tangent of M at the point N. So then the line uh, parallel to OM through N and the line per perpendicular to OM through A intersect at the point P. That point P is a point on the line for all points A on the circle. Right foot red. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Uh, if you go on the Wikipedia page... There's a fun uh, little animated GIF that explains that. I'll also put on the Acme Science blog post. Mostly, I like this curve because it's called the Witch of Enyesi. Okay. And I think that's funny. I, most of my favorite curves I have picked, not because I can define them, but because they have fun names. <laughs> so this is, this is going to stop being an interesting podcast right now. Well, you know, we could, we could, make, we could make food out of these things, I think. I know, I know we've... we've touched on this before but you know there's what the, the diffy freeze yes but i think i think we can open up yeah. a whole new area of um, perhaps canned and, and also tasty tor high yeah. let's let's not forget let's not forget some of our favorite uh, uh some of our favorite mathematically themed fake restaurants we've come up with keep going there was the uh well okay so the bacristochrone because oh, oh, yeah. That's that's one I was going to talk about later. So, what is the bacristochrone? Well, if we have a point, um, let's say two we have points. a. You need two points. Oh, sorry. If, if we have, if if we have two points, uh, and let's say these two points are to be connected by, um, um, well, a, some curve, some curve, and yeah. let's say this curve is like a piece of wire, and we have a bead that we're going to place on this wire, uh, assuming that there's no friction between the bead and the wire, and assuming the only force acting on the bead is a uh, uniform gravitational field, what, along which path does the bead take the least amount of time to travel from the initial point to the final point? And amazingly, now, the thing that freaked me out the most when I first heard about this is not a straight line. Because it would just seem like it should be a straight line, which is the shortest distance between two points. But no, the Brachrysicode actually ends up going down really fast, and then it even has to come back up at some point. Like, it has to travel against gravity, and that's still the path of fastest descent. We have pasta now that is so good, it can be eaten in least time by your family. Brachistochronian cheese. <laughs> Instead of the little why elbows. Cheese? Well, everything tastes better with cheese. But Yeah, but why, why add cheese? I mean, you were talking about pasta, and then you just... The name has cheese, and I'm confused. Well, instead of having like... I, you, I am a marketing executive... Or no, I'm a pasta executive. Why should I take your pitch? Instead of elbow macaroni, replace the elbows with procrystochrones. Procrystochrone, like surfaces, you know. And, and so, procrystochrone. Yeah, procrystochrone and cheese. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Now I got yeah, it. Procrystochrone and cheese. Yeah, yeah see, I thought he was just saying procrystochrone and cheese. Oh, uh, no, no. And no, no. I didn't realize he was talking about procrystochrone. Which, oh my God, I... Someone out there, someone listening, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go on some sort of math visualization software or Illustrator or I anything, and I want you to create for me an image of Bacrista Crony. Please, pretty please do this. Email it to me, Samuel at AcmeScience.com or uh, Twitter at AcmeScience. Please, please make this for me. I need this to happen. And, and so, Brachistochrone, uh, we've talked about it before, and we talked about the Bernoullis, mm -hmm. because this was uh, originally, uh, a, this, the solution to this curve of fast descent was originally done by Johann, not Jakob. Johann, not Jakob. They were fighting over this. It was, it was, a, it was a, if, if I remember this properly, and you were on that mm -hmm. one, Cody, there was a lot of fighting between those Bernoullis. Yep. And, and so, yeah, no, the procrystochrone is, is actually uh, is very interesting it, in that it's so paradoxical to me. It, it really is. So, yeah, no, no, that, that, is one of, that is one of my favorite, one of my favorite curves. Okay, uh, how about, do, do, uh, have you guys ever heard of the ampersand curves? Ampersand curves. Ampersand. Yes. No. 
So the ampersand curve is uh, four or is uh, four times the quantity x squared plus y squared minus two x squared equals the quantity y squared minus x squared times the quantity x minus one times the quantity two x minus three. So I, I think that those are actually the same things. One's just the factored version. So that is an algebraic curve of genus zero with three ordinary double points all in the real plane. Genus zero. Yeah, it's, it's genus zero. And apparently genuses on curves is different than uh, what I'm... So that means that it is, uh, it's topologically equivalent to a plane uh, because a, a genus one would be a, a two torus or a, you know, a regular torus. Uh, and so that the ampersand curve looks kind of funky. Oh, okay. Uh, there's okay. three crossing points, and it just curves around. And plus, it's called the ampersand. Funny thing, I was expecting it to look like the ampersand. It does not look like the ampersand. It, it, I mean, how, if you, you sort of squint your eyes and cross them at the same time. Even looking at it through a spit filter, I don't see that. Or a pop filter, I don't see that. Do you, do you recall in like old texts, like the Constitution or something, when they say... When they want to say et cetera, they use the ampersand. And C. And C. Yep. Well, yep. Et, et is the Latin word for and. So, so. that just means and cetera. Ah. That's, that's all that it means, really. Uh, okay. So, I mean, that's just a ridiculous one. Uh, I, as I say, a lot of these are named. Now, this is one that I loved the first time I saw it. And I think both of you probably really enjoyed it, too. You probably saw it for the first time in Calculus 2 when you were talking about polar coordinates. Maybe you would have seen it first, but I doubt that. Do you, either you have a guess as to what this is going to be? Is it the cardioid? Uh, I don't believe this is the cardioid. No. Is it Henry's butterfly? Nope. Is it the limacone? No. Limacone. The rose. Ah, rose. Oh, the rose curve. I love the rose curve. It's so pretty. How do you know how many petals it has? Very, very easy. Do either of you know the answer to this? I do. My students don't. <laughs> so, uh, so what's the equation for the Rose curve? It's, it's, uh, it's a polar coordinate equation, first right. of all. It's given by R equals A cosine in theta or R equals A sine in theta. Okay. Uh, the, the definition on here is just cosine, but you can do it with sine as well. It's a 90-degree rotation. It's yeah. yeah. It's, so, I mean, they're, they're, ex they're equivalent. Mm -hmm. uh, so you only really need one of them, but you can have both. Uh, and you don't really need the A either because the A can be factored directly into the R. Yeah. Uh, now I'm the one telling you you're, you have extra things before. I'm like, no, circle's a different thing. <laughs> well, an a, a rose factored differently would smell just as sweet. Boo! <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> okay, and so how many petals does this rose have? And, and so we, we should mention this is a sinusoidal curve, a uh, sinusoid curve. And, and what it, it's a bunch of kind of long, they're not quite ellipses, but they kind of look like ellipses uh, that kind of all come up and they, they form back down. And it looks like a flower with a bunch of petals. Incidentally, though, uh, in some texts they are called leaves, which is a bit of a quandary to me. Huh. Why would you call the petals of a rose a leaf? I don't know. Well, you wouldn't. They're just different name. for. Yeah. Do they still call it the rose curve? Yeah, they'll call it a rose, but then they'll say it has leaves. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Not at, at all. all. Not at all. That's dumb. It is. I mean, a flower can have leaves, just not on the flowering part. Right. Right. Okay, and so how many petals? How do you know how many petals it has? Well, it's based on that value n. If n is even, it has uh, n petals. And if n is odd, or wait, do I have that backwards? No, you have that yeah, backwards. I have that backwards. <laughs> if n is odd, it has n in petals. petals. And if n is even, it has 2n petals yep so that means it can have any number of petals other than what there's one amount of petals that it cannot have two two you can have one petal you can have three petals but you cannot have two what does one petal look like it would just be a i mean that would be r equals cosine theta it would be a circle yeah <laughs> <laughs> She loves me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you cannot, you cannot have a two-petal rose. Which I, I, when, I, when I was thinking about this earlier today, when I was looking through this, I thought that was very interesting for some reason. But you got your lemniscates, which are kind of like a two-petaled rose. But that's yeah, but they could suck my balls. 
What? That came out of nowhere. What? How do you say that again? Le- Lemniscate? That's how I say it. It could be totally wrong. And I'm okay with that. Well, cool. uh, you, you get mad so, curvature points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, someone actually knew about this. So uh, before we talk about the, la- the last type of curve I would like to talk about, uh, how about uh, cantonary? Catenaries? Catenary. Yeah. I always want to put an N before the T. So catenaries. What are catenary curves? It, well, it's the trajectory followed by a cat when you put it in a catapult. You know? I cat, accept that. Catenary. That is not true. <laughs> do, do flying objects, like if something out of the catapult, does that always follow a parabolic or a catenary curve? Uh, neglecting wind resistance in a uniform gravitational field, it is a parabola. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but with those, it's kind of like... After uh, it, it's kind of like getting up to the top, and then it kind of looks like the descent of a log curve. Uh, so, so what is a catenary? Um, well, I, I don't know the precise definition, but I know some examples. Well, well, it's, there is a very easy precise definition, which I will give. It's what happens when you have uh, two point or two two uh, connection points and you uh, connect them together with a string or a chain. Mm -hmm. The catenary is the uh, curve which that uh, string or chain will uh, fall down to with, Chris? With the least amount of potential energy, gravitational potential energy. I I was actually looking for you to say no friction, uniform gravitational field, and no wind or something like that. Of course. (laughs) So, So in an idealized physical world... So and and so, what were some of the examples you were going to? Oh well, that was that was what I was thinking of as an example. So so, lemniscate is just a figure eight curve Uh for anyone who's wondering. Yeah. Uh, And the most uh, famous example of a catenary is the catenary is the St. Louis Arch is actually a catenary. Oh yeah, that that would be. I mean, it looks almost like when you get uh, catenaries where the the bases are very close together, they look parabolic. Yes. But but they're not quite. uh, But. I don't know if that is the most famous example. Uh, what about, say, the Golden Gate Bridge? Oh. That is filled with catenary curves. True. Because suspension bridge... See, catenary curves, this is one of those curves that just appears everywhere. You're looking... You're just, like, walking down in, like, a, uh, a British park. You will probably see them because they will have posts that are connected together by chains. That follows them. Uh, suspension bridges do. Uh, a lot, uh, uh, almost all arches actually are catenaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like building arches, because these are incredibly uh, solid structures. Mm-hmm. Super, super solid structures. I, my, my favorite example is uh, a cathedral in Barcelona known as La Sargada Familia, uh, which is just filled with catenary curves. It, it, I mean, that's... And it's all, it was uh, designed by Gaudi. And Gaudi loves weird geometry. It's also filled with uh, hyperbolic curves and hyperbolic geometry. It's, a, it's an amazing structure. Anyone who ever goes to Barcelona, please go see it. And so he actually developed the interior kind of arch structure by uh, putting all the points, putting it upside down and connecting a bunch of chains uh, together to all the points where he wanted arches. And that's how he modeled the inside of this cathedral. That's wow. brilliant. Yeah, and, and he was one of the first people to just be like, well, if we put together all the points we want modeled together with arches along with how long we want the arches to be, like the total arc length of the arch, then if we just hang that upside down, that's it just, it'll just form it automatically, and then we can just build from those, yeah. and it will be a perfect structure. Yeah. And, and that's I, I personally find that to be absolutely fascinating. Well, the, the catenaries are also valuable um, in the sense that a catenoid which is the surface of revolution of a catenary, ends up being a minimal surface uh, in the sense that if you have, say, two circles of, uh, that are parallel to each other but uh, not necessarily of the same radius, the surface that has those two circles as their common boundary um, is actually a, a catenoid. Hmm. Now, I, I did not know that. I also wasn't paying attention, to be honest. Okay, so the, the last type of curve... I would uh, like to talk about is a very specific type of curve. It's one of the specific type of curves that everyone knows, and yet we still have yet we have not talked about it yet. Uh, any guesses as to what that curve might be? The normal curve? No. No, this is a class of curves. It's not a specific curve. It's a class of curves. 
My curves. Spirals, Cody. Spirals. So there's two types of spirals. You guys know what the two types of spirals are? Is one of them logarithmic? Yes, there is a logarithmic spiral. Now, what makes a spiral logarithmic? Like, what's, what's different, or what's the defining definition, or defining uh, thing of a logarithmic spiral? Well, if the radius is written as a function of the angle, then isn't it a logarithmic function of the angle? In a way that people can understand. The, okay, what I was looking for is the distance between uh, the consecutive, uh, the conse consecutive layers. So as you go out, the distance between each kind of spin proceeds in a geometric fashion. Now, the other type of spiral, which is known as an Archimedean spiral... Uh, does not have that. It, it uh, has a cons it's It goes in a constant fashion. Uh, not, uh, but not necessarily. Uh, or yeah, is it? Yeah, no. It's exactly constant. It, it's mm -hmm. it's a constant factor of space between each of the curves. And so it's an Archimedean spiral because Archimedes studied them a lot. And uh, and and spirals are cool. Because they're really fun to draw. That, that's the main thing I, I like about spirals. And they also, they do show up in nature a decent amount. I mean, there's, of course, uh, the spirals derived by the, deriv derived by the Fibonacci numbers. Mm -hmm. I don't have that shell in my pocket today, so. Yeah, the, the, not, the Nautilus shell is an example of a logarithmic spiral. Uh, it's, it's, and uh, are all Fibonacci spirals logarithmic? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they they are because it grows outward by a factor of the golden ratio. So yeah, because each time when you go between that spiral gets, yeah, it mm. has more space in between them. And so I mean, uh, also awesome about spirals, Milky Way. We have spiral galaxies. It's it's really kind of and and that's because when you if you take so think about it, you take a a a spherical ball you put uh something through that spherical ball and and the spherical ball can be molded like and so it's kind of like squishy you know it's moldable uh, and so you put put something through the middle and then you uh spin that thing you put through the middle which spins out the the circle what that forms then is a a spiral galaxy well it, it forms it forms a spiral essentially because that's what spirals are. It's, you're, it's kind of you spin something out at a constant radial momentum. That would be an Archimedean spiral. And so kind of the way things travel and, and it kind of just squishes down. And that's one of the main reasons why we have so many spiral galaxies, because we have galaxies that could have been spherical at one point and then uh, started spinning and that angular momentum carried things out and kind of squished it down. It's also why if you go towards the, the center uh, of the galaxy it does get fatter at that point wait does that mean if you're in say a microgravity environment with uh one of those things that people use to uh, blow glass could we have like a spherical or a ball of molten glass put a rod through it and kind of spin it to make a like a glass spiral yeah i believe so that that would make perfect sense. Probably the most expensive arts and crafts on the planet but it would be beautiful <laughs> well i mean even if i mean if you're blowing glass and you put something like that and you let it you let it cool to the point where you can still kind of mess with it, but you don't get it to the point where it's still completely molten. You might actually even be able to kind of form a spiral galaxy kind of shape, even at that point, even in a regular gravity situation. You need to let it get mostly solid, but not completely. I don't even know if you could actually do that with glass. You'd have to have a very temperature-controlled environment. You probably wouldn't actually be able to have it out in the air because uh, molten sand turns into glass pretty quickly when exposed to normal temperatures okay so the last thing i like to do is talk about uh two curves so curves i mean these are all curves that are mathematical now what if we talk about curves that are not necessarily mathematical or were used to model something and i picked these two because they have awesome names not actually going to get into them but no cody don't roll your eyes at me no that was a thinking roll that was a okay so the first one is known as the bathtub curve. <laughs> you guys ever heard of the bathtub? Is it what the ring looks like at the end? or 
No, it uh, it actually describes a particular form of the hazard function. It's used in reliability engineering. Uh... The first part is a decreasing failure rate, known as early failures. The second part, constant failure rate, known as random failures. Third part, increasing failure rate, known as wear-out failures. So this is like... So yeah, it kind of looks like a bathtub. Actually, uh, when I lived in California a bunch of years ago, I used to have one of them old-school metal bathtubs that had the feet. Oh, God, I love those. Uh, yeah, it was that, was that was hardcore, man. Hardcore <laughs> bathtub action. If you wanted to model like the likelihood of someone hurting themselves getting in or out of the bathtub with time, wouldn't they be kind of dangerous? Wouldn't it be dangerous when they're really young and then they get pretty yeah. good at it and uh, then all of a the, sudden... <laughs> the thing it has here uh, to kind of, uh, kind of uh, show a real-world example of this is, uh, is in, in there... I'm going to expand this out. How about uh, just uh, death of human beings in general? Mm-hmm. When you're an infant, I mean, there's early infant mortality yeah. issues. I mean, just just in general, I mean, because I mean, an infant it gets a it gets a sickness. It, it's terrible, and it, mm-hmm. it, and they don't have the immune system or immunities to deal with it. And so there's a I mean, infants have compared to you know a 20 year old a very high mortality rate, and then that that rather quickly goes down, and then from you know say 12 or something or even like five or something out until like 50s. Yeah, but you're if you're gonna die, it's kind of a freak coincidence. Right. Like you have maybe some genetic issue, or uh, you get you're exposed to something, or you die in an accident. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, you start to have wear out failures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should not be laughing about that, should we? Yeah, we're getting there. We're hey, we're uh, only guess, on the curve. I guess it's just kind. Of, we're right in the middle. Uh, I guess I guess it's kind of funny to say. The problems that we get with older age, calling them wear out failures. That's true. That that's true. I think that 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 is a is a light spin on it to say that I'm just getting wore out. Yeah, and, and so uh, my the other curve I want to talk about mostly because this this might be my favorite named curve ever: the backward bending supply curve of labor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared to ask what it looks like. <laughs> it, it, it really looks like if you take a catenary, turn it not uh, not completely sideways so that the base is pointing out down the x-axis, but most of the way. And so what, what this is, is it's a curve that models a thesis that claims that as wages increases, wages increase, people will substitute leisure for working. Right. Eventually, wages will increase to a point where less labor is offered. Uh, mm. Uh, in in the job market, and so that's that's what it is. I uh, and it's I don't know anything about this. I don't really care. But it's called the backward bending supply curve of labor. So, do you guys have any closing thoughts about curves? Yeah, our our, our recent discussion here has made me want to do a lot of illicit drugs, so I could send my life into a downward yeah. spiral. <laughs> Boo! That was worse than Chris. Well, no, I want to. I want to go to St. Louis so I can get some of that award-winning catenary and cheese. Nope. Bracristocroni Bricri- was. Wait, that worked. Catenary, cantineroni? No, no, Chris. I'm sorry. That that I'm gonna have to give that an F minus. That that was really bad. If you would have just done the Bracristocroni again, I would have been all about it. But like, yeah. At least give me a D so I have some curvature. Okay, uh, so <laughs> that's it for this combination permutation. Remember, go to Kickstarter and search Relatively Prime or go to bit.ly. So bit.ly slash relprime, bit.ly slash R-E-L-P-R-I-M-E. And either give me money or mention it to all of your friends because that would be awesome. And I really need your support and your help. So thank you all for listening. And for Christopher Bates and Cody Palmer, I am your host, Samuel Hansen. The best and greatest host ever of combinations and permutations. Not an untrue statement. I'm the only host. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. 
Well, that is it for this episode of Combinations of Permutations. If you have any feedback or perhaps you want to suggest a topic like Peter did for this episode, send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. Also, don't forget to head on over to acmescience.com for links to the things that we talked about in today's Combinations and Permutations. You can also find links there to the Acme Science Kickstarter project Relatively Prime, which needs your support in order to go through. The music on today's podcast is from SP12. You can find them over at opsound.org. And this podcast is a Creative Commons attribution, share-alike licensed podcast. So please feel free to take that thing I just yelled about it being Creative Commons attribution, share-alike licensed, and remix it into an awesome dance hit. Just be sure that you say that you got that audio from us. So I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope that you come back for the next episode of Combinations and Permutations.